Hello and welcome to World Shop, the podcast where we build worlds based off the role of a 20-sided die. I'm Jordan. I'm Cody. How's it going, Cody? Jordan, it's going good. It's going good right now. Going, is it going pretty good, dude? I would say it is going better than pretty good because I'm really enjoying riding my motorcycle. Oh my gosh. This is what, I'm week getting, number four of this? <laughs> I'm getting way back into that and I love it. It is so much fun. Well, I, I'm glad because everybody needs a hobby and I'm glad you found a hobby, dude. <laughs> I'm being serious. I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious. I'm glad you have a hobby. It feels like you're being facetious, but... Everybody needs something to do. This winter, I'm planning on taking my bike down to its frame. I'm scared and excited to do (laughs) that. I'm scared is what you were about to say. Oh, jeez. Well, well, mm, I'm not going to get you started on bike talk. So what have you been um, reading, writing, listening to? What have you been enjoying other than motorcycling? Um... So, I mean, we talked a little bit yesterday to pull the curtain back a smidge. We talk more than once a week? Oh, well, I finished Stranger Things. That's probably the most momentous thing. And I need to start it. I think I might watch it while I'm playing Breath of the Wild, but we can talk about that in a sec. Well, and so just, I don't, I'm not going to say anything spoilery. I think that with shows like this, there is a tendency to... Um, burnout? Well, burnout, but also... Um, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this. Well, you know, Cody, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Well, uh, okay, so sincerity is a hard thing to capture in a show. I heard sincerity killed the cat. Wait, no, that's curiosity. Never mind, continue. Jordan, why do you make these bad jokes? I, because... Like, I can in- see on your face that you know it's a bad joke. Like, you know. You, you <laughs> know that, what you're doing smile, is wrong. It's that smile I get that just gives it all away that it's like, oh yeah, no, I know specifically that that's a bad joke. I'm just <laughs> killing the conversation. It's not that I'm mad at you, Jordan. I'm just disappointed, you know? Straight up dad talk right there. Boom. Yeah. Nailed it. Dad shame. Anyways. <laughs> um, oh, hey, you want to know my parenting fail? Oh, um, finish talking about Stranger oh, Things. You can talk about your parenting Sincerity. Failing. Okay. I appreciate it when shows are willing to have sincere moments that I think are heartfelt and um, emotionally vulnerable. And I would say this is a show that did that. Um, Good. Its end could have been scary, dark, miserable, a whole bunch of different things. And maybe it was all of those things in some way. But it also, like, as a story, even if there were no monsters, it would have had a, like heart at the end you know what i mean it it has a heart that it is a sincere message that it is getting across maybe it's a little bit melodramatic but i don't care sometimes i like melodrama and i like sincere feelings so i liked the show for that reason it had a lot of flaws there's a lot of complaints i could make but at the end of the day they had a nice heartfelt moment at the end with sincerity that made me feel things and i'm like good job show that's all you need to do Okay. Well, th- th- that's excellent. I'm glad to hear that it was sincere. Oh, but I... do you want to hear my parenting failure, though, well, that first, I did today? I... Yes, Cody, fine. Okay, so check this out. I'm trying to feed my baby with... Uh, I tried to use a sippy cup because he's been having trouble with a bottle because he sucks too hard and rips the top of the bottle off. Your so I'm trying to sucks. feed him with a, a sippy cup, and I have him tilted back, and he's drinking the bottle, and he's fine. And then he, like, slurps way too much out and basically waterboards himself with a bottle... <laughs> 
And then starts like gagging and choking, spits up a bunch of milk, starts screaming. Now, whenever I put the sippy cup near his face, he starts crying and wailing because it waterboarded yeah, him two seconds you waterboarded ago. your son. And then I put him to bed and let him cry it out for 15 minutes. Then he fell asleep. So I'm a bad parent. <laughs> it's so hard because he just like, so, I don't know why. He's just like, he decided I'm going to stop drinking this now. And then he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, no, so, so stupid, no. Again, pulling back the curtain, I wanted to say, like, so during Dark Souls, we kind of made the rule, kind of stealing it from Holden and Lexi, that when you beat a boss, we're going to say something nice about each other. The thing I was going to say was that you're a good father, and I like how much you care about your kid. But you now knowing that, father. No, you don't no, but now knowing that you waterboarded your own kid with milk, maybe you're not a good father. I didn't maybe mean you, to. But, you know, it wasn't that bad. He just, he, yeah, he I, gets upset You when he exaggerate every story, so it was probably just, like, a little, <coughs> and then he cried, like, meh, and then was done. He does, it, it's mostly a teething thing, is what it actually is, is that his gums hurt, so he has trouble, like, sucking on a bottle, because his face hurts, so he doesn't want to eat. Because it's killing so, me, you know. Then he's, like, biting on it, that hurts, he starts crying instead of drinking, then he kind of chokes he start, on it. Then he starts but then, once it hurts, he's like, I'm done with the bottle, I don't want it anymore. So, it's like, frick. So all he'll do is, like, eat things that he can, like, feel good on his gums. That's all he wants right now, because he's teething. And he just will not get teeth. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I can, like, feel teeth under his gums, it's nasty. Oh, but, yikes. Yeah. That is, that's... babies are scary dude man they're miserable little things sometimes like sometimes he's the happiest little baby then other times it's just like so next time we have holden alexi on you definitely need to do that impression why would i do that to myself jordan why would i do that in front of new people anywho so that has been baby corny corner with world shop podcast you can check out more baby talk on crazy doodler at twitch.tv it's crazy, <laughs> crazy doodler six crazy you don't even doodler know my name six at twitch.tv where he will be doing a weekly baby talk so what i have been doing recently has been diving completely into breath of the wild and i was wrong about every single thing i said last week yeah we started talking about that last night and i was not satisfied with the conversation so what do you what are you liking about breath of the wild right why now? weren't you like, satisfied with what i said like what well we just didn't talk about it enough and we were kind of distracted what what turn because i actually i wanted to save it for the podcast so what turned me around is that there are some absolutely stunning and amazingly gripping moments in that game that aren't through cutscenes, that aren't through that aren't manufactured it's stuff that you can actually like do it's actions that you get to do and control that just took my breath away so there was one of the shrine quests was on i think lanaru or however you pronounce it um mountain the springs of wisdom i think they're called and there's a corrupted dragon that you have to purify up there and so like you shoot like the um the blight off it like twice and then it flies into the air and it's like okay well how the heck am i gonna get the to the dragon so i had to climb up the mountain and it's just uh, first of all absolutely stunningly beautiful scene there's this dragon flying slowly in distance he's not shooting lasers at me it's not this super hard thing it's like i'm just trying to save this dragon and it's like so i got i shot another thing of blight off him but then he moves further away so i have to jump fly through the sky which is freaking cool as heck and then jump off my paraglider at the right moment time the shot and shoot it and just all of that was just so well put together it wasn't a there wasn't a tutorial there wasn't telling yeah, there was me no how I should be. Scene. There was no cutscene, nothing. It just like, you have to figure this out and it's something you can do and it's just 
was breathtaking. That whole gameplay was just doing this mission. There was there was no guidance to it other than telling me to shoot the blight off. Well, well to, what it I told love me about to purify it, the dragon. It didn't even tell me how to. It just did yeah. it, and it was just so well put together and so beautiful. And it there was no cutscene with it. it. Just and there's characters that I met that are just really like endearing and good, well written characters. Like Cass, the one who plays the accordion outside of certain shrines. There's a couple like Beetle. There's a couple of really just cool characters, just amazingly, just well done. It's just well done. I think that's definitely true. And what's amazing about that dragon thing that you're talking about, that sequence, I totally agree. I think it was one of the most, like, sublime, sublime moments in a game. So sublime is that moment of, like, awe of nature, right? Yes, yes, Uh, yes. When, when, like, poets talk about the sublime, right? It's what you feel when you stand on the top of a tall thing and see a massive world underneath of you. Yeah. It was one of the more sublime moments in a video game because it wasn't loud. There was no roaring. It wasn't like a bunch of screaming. It's just this massive dragon flying over your head and you're like, I guess I'm going up there. Like, there's nothing drawing you up there other than look a dragon. Like, and that to me with that game is what nailed it. Well, that's what I liked about it. It wasn't a boss fight. I wasn't having to dodge things. I wasn't having to fight it. I was trying to just save this like beautiful creature. Yeah, and, and there was nothing that made you do that. I no. you didn't have to. There was no like, oh, you got this quest. Now you have to go and do this. It's just like, well, there's a dragon and there's bad stuff on it. Of course, the, you're the quest do that. was see what's on top of the mountain. That's what the quest was. So I, I went up to the top of the mountain. Well, I I talked to a guy. He's like, hey, you should check out the wisdom, the springs of wisdom. So I went <laughs> I to the top even of the mountain that. and I saw. I was like, oh, that's an evil dragon. There's about to be a boss fight, and then he just sits there. I'm yeah. like, okay, so I shot the eye off, and then I shot another, and then he takes off. I'm like, okay, he's not going to kill me? Okay, let's yeah. go try to save this freaking dragon then. Yeah, no, that that to me, like, that sense of discovery and exploration is, the game's smart because it's kind of simple. Like, a lot of important things glow the same color, yes. and your eye is immediately drawn to them, but it means that when you're out exploring, it's easy to find things but you don't necessarily have to find any of it because the world's so massive, but also really densely packed that like, if you just go wander off, you're going to have an experience that you haven't Bro, had before. I've found 50 shrines. <laughs> I've yeah. Done, like, but there's like 230 there, there's or something. 120. I've done like almost half of the shrines. It's like, there are so many shrines in this. Game. There's so many, but you don't have to do it. Well, I, like, you I just... mean, I want to at least get enough hearts to like feel competent. Because I get yeah. hit once and it takes off seven hearts. It's like, okay. Well, but I also have a bunch of healing potions and armor and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I haven't found like any armor. I, I've been using climbing gear in the Hyrulean armor. Oh. That's like the well, only stuff I found. There's other armor that you can get eventually. I, I would hope. I mean, I haven't gone to too many villages. But I've gone yeah, to Zora. Mean- I've gone to Karikyo. here, Whatever. I've gone to Hatano. I've gone to three villages. So I and haven't I mean, found any armor. Like what I spent a lot of time just wandering around in that game. That's what like, I've been doing. That's probably why I haven't found any of the armor. But that's fun though. It's like it's it's the experience I think you're supposed to have with that game is like, hey man, just go walk around. There's cool stuff everywhere. Like every time I see a dragon, it always ends up being something cool. Like every time a dragon shows up, it's awesome. Cause you're not killing the dragon. That's not what it is. It's like these weird I think sublime is the right way to put them. They make them really silent 
And that's so clever that they're this massive thing that's just like, it's like, it doesn't make any more sound than a bird, you know, just fluttering right through. And it's like, what is this? You know, and you can see them at such a distance. Like the draw distance is incredible in that game, considering everything you can see, you can get on top of, you know? Okay, so you you told me not to do this, and I probably shouldn't, but I have, I'm pretty reserving my awesome weapons. I have this really awesome great flame sword that like, Throws like pretty much like a wall of fire every time I swing yeah. it. I have a couple of awesome thunder spears. I have like the ancient, the um, guardian axe. I have guardian some, weapons are awesome. I have some really cool weapons, but I've just been using like every... Oh my gosh, it was awesome. So I've been just using like stuff I pick up because I kind of want to reserve those weapons for anything yeah. that happens. I mean, I know what you mean. But, I, okay, I but there was one area I kind of... There was a... I was... At a tower, the guy tells me, hey, how far can you paraglide? And so I did that, and I landed in this area. I saw them before I landed, and there's a bunch of the goblin guys. And so I just had a simple weapon, kill one with the weapon. I picked up his weapon. <laughs> just like I just was traded. It was pretty much like the major. I just traded off weapons until finally I killed them all, where a couple times I just tossed him to the side, killed the guy with the one, picked up another one, whacked the dude who was coming at me, tossed it at him as he's falling. It was... A really cool. It would have been like an action well, movie scene, but it's just just going through just on their weapons. I didn't draw my own weapon the whole time. That flow of that like that kind of fighting, I do find really fun. Yeah. Where you like kill a guy, then you just like grab that stick, throw it at that guy over there, pick up another thing off the ground, you just keep fighting. Yeah. And well, that's the thing is the fights can be so creative because there's a ton of them where it's like. If you go over there and fight those, you'll probably die. Or I can, like, drop boxes on their head from a distance or, like, roll bombs down the hill. Or I can, like, leave bombs and get them to chase me and blow them off a cliff. There's, like, a lot of fights that really encourage you to be creative with how you approach them. You don't just have to, like, run in and stab, you know? Yeah, like, you, that's you don't have to do run it. in and stab, which is, which is nice. But I truly enjoy the times when I get a really awesome weapon and just test it out just like oh my god oh yeah <laughs> I mean running in and stabbing is fun <laughs> just oh my gosh just some of the like elemental weapons you get in that game are really cool like the th yeah oh I got a thunder blade once oh man that was awesome like just slide in just wham everybody around you just gets oh lightning arrows one last there's just so many stories and we can do this on um, a stream or something but there's so many stories from this game that I just love um, so I lightning, I have so many lightning arrows stocked up. So I went to the top of the mountain in the Zora region where I'm supposed to get the lightning arrows for the divine beast quest. And there's the, um, um, centaur lion Lionel. dude, the Lionel, Lionel at the top of the mountain yeah. that I'm supposed to kill. I texted this story to you, but I'm supposed to kill the lion monster. At the, so I just, well, no, you're not even supposed to kill him. You're just supposed to gather arrows. Say, you know, you're not supposed, yeah, you're not to, supposed kill to kill him. You're supposed right? to gather arrows and get the heck out of there. But it's like, I had a defense potion with the three plus defense. I'm like, you know what? Let's fight it out. And I might get some like good weapons and good items from killing him. So I did. I hashed it out. It took me a little while to get down the dodging and the block. Like I definitely wasn't good at um blocking it like well um parrying attacks until i fought a bunch of guardians in central hyrule which i shouldn't be in but well if you learn how to parry it's worth I, it man. i took the time to learn how to parry in but so it took me a while to kill him so i killed him but as i'm killing him i noticed the sky's getting a little red and there's a little you know the flame sparkles around me and it's like oh god i like, hurry up and kill him so i kill and pretty much i kill him i pick up his weapons then blood moon happens and he comes right back 
<laughs> so I had to kill him. So I killed him. Like, you know what? I'm up here, still have some um, time on my potion. So I killed him again, and I ended up with 70 Thunder Arrows. <laughs> so it was like, he's like, well, yeah, did awesome. you get, tw-? it's like, do you have at least 20 arrows? I'm like, oh yeah, look at all this. <laughs> That's pretty cool though. So, and I still haven't use. used them. Oh my God, they're so good in mobs because you can just shoot at one, it explodes, it hits like three of them. Really though, figuring out how to get a lot of arrows is super important. That's, it makes a lot of parts of the game a lot easier. That's one thing I don't like right now is that like I have to just go- keep buying normal arrows. Yeah, you do. Farming money becomes like... Depending on how you get into the game, like, I got into it to the point of wanting to farm and enjoying farming. So, like, I know ways to earn money really quickly so I can get tons of arrows because money is arrows. But if you're not into that, you don't have to be. I don't even want to do the Divine Beast yet, honestly. Okay, so here's the one trick with the Divine Beast. And I I agree with you because once you beat all of them, it kind of feels like the game's over. Yeah. Um, Some of the abilities you get from the Divine Beast are sick dude the one you get from the zora beast is so good because it Um, replenishes all your health and gives you i think like five um temporary hearts when you're like yeah yeah it's like having a fairy yeah yeah um it's amazing i but yeah there's one of there's one very specific one that is like my favorite and i got it last and i wish i had gotten it first all right don't tell me but no i'm not going to you'll you'll you know you got to have your own experience but it's cool. Uh, well, yeah, I gotta go get some armor. I don't know which... Well, because I'm going to do one of the Divine Beasts next. I don't know which one I want to do. I'm going to say... I think just because of how games have worked before... We need to get to this show. Just how games have worked before, I want to save Gerudo for last. Just because that's always been the last one. So I don't know if I want to do the um, Zoran... Sorry, the Goron. Or the um, bird people. Rito? Rita? Ritos. I, I never remember. I didn't... I don't remember them because they weren't in Ocarina of Time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why it's like, Rita, Rita's, I don't know. But anyway, this is not the Breath of the Wild podcast. This is indeed the World Shop podcast. So, Cody, we're back. What was last week? Um. Oh, Lord. We, we did <laughs> oh, two short weeks. stories. No, we didn't. Last week? Last time? Yeah, we did short stories last time. No. Oh, my gosh. No, we did a world. What did we do? That's, oh, that's why I said we're. Organic. That's why yeah. I said we're back, Cody, because we did a life world. Life is not organic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow. Where you totally had Robot Poet and i had the twilight zone yes correct (laughs) so this week cody what are we doing i love doing this to you every time this week we're doing worlds based on a time period yep and i as i told you before now i'm going to tell the audience i think i may or may not have written a yellow card so we'll see as we go through this but if i go first which i probably will i will tell you why i think it's a yellow card cody you're looking for your dice and i'm trying to vamp but i don't think i can vamp any longer man Jordan, I need a dice. Yeah, I know. I was try I was trying my hardest to keep going, but you you just didn't find it. And it's like, oh dude, you're ruining the show. <laughs> Sorry, here is dice. I found dice. Okay, I think I won. I got a five. I got a fifteen. As usual, I'm going around. You need to do better. you just need to do better. <laughs> no, I, I enjoy this. Although I kinda like going first sometimes. Yeah, and I, I like know. I like being able to sit back and listen after the preamble talk rather than going straight into it. Okay, so why I think... Actually, I'll tell it after I do the first part. So this is the City of 8-Ball, 1990s alternative universe. I strap on my... City of 8-Ball I already like. Oh, I thought you were going to say you hate. Ugh. Woo! No. Okay, so I strap on my roller skates, zip up my windbreaker, grab my fanny pack, other equipment, and... Screw you, Jordan! Can I, can I freaking speak? 
No, you can't. That's so tacky, and I love I it. I know. I, I'm so like I'm not proud of myself about this world, but I am very excited about this world. So, anyways, I'm gonna start again since you like yelled at my first sentence. I strap on my roller skates, zip up my windbreaker, grab my fanny pack and other equipment, and head out the door for my first night on patrol. I finally achieved my goal of becoming a member of the DHF, the special police force that is here to protect the city from the unholy monsters that now exist. You see which route I took this, and I'm really happy about it. Welcome to the city of 8-Ball. 8-Ball is a large city on the coast of America, and ever since the late 80s and the turn of the decade to the 90s, it has been growing. The government seeks to touch the sky with a new set of skyscrapers, but due to this, a lot of the city is under construction as it grows ever bigger. Uh, Can you let me talk for once in your life? No! This is this is hilarious and painful and yeah. hilarious. To the east of the city is the ocean, where 8-Ball Beach attracts many tourists. Along the beach, there is the world's largest boardwalk, home to many surf shops and ocean outlooks. Life on the boardwalk is like a constant festival. This area is booming with surfers, breakdancers, and many new dive restaurants. Street performers reign supreme in this area, and you can always find someone carrying a boombox blasting music. The warm ocean air brings in many tourists, but little do they know of the dangers that lurk within 8-Ball. You must be prepared, or you will be the next victim. In the night sky, the moon rises as always, but now, in the city of 8-Ball, once a month, when the moon is full, it shines a bloody red color. Most people aren't prepared for this, but this is a portal of evil. During the day, everything is normal. The sun hangs brightly in the sky, sometimes it rains, sometimes it shines. Because 8-Ball is towards the south, the temperature does not drop too much during the winter. Due to this, 8-Ball gets tourists year-round. In the city, there are a few parks, some that even rival the parks of New York. But at night, these can be dangerous places. The city has your normal areas, shopping centers, eateries, and a financial district, among others. 8-Ball is a center of technology with the continuing spread of the cell phone and the start of the internet cafe. The idea is that soon everyone will have a handheld computer and we will advance to a new level. But despite all the advancements in shiny new technology throughout the city, amongst the construction there exists the seedy underbelly of crime. All in all, if you are smart and keep to yourself, you'll be safe within 8-Ball. If not, you might just find yourself in a bit of trouble. But that is nothing the 8-Ball Special Police Force can't handle. So, pretty much, I wanted to stylize this world as in late 80s, early 90s world. So we get things that were popular amongst those times spread throughout 8-Ball. Color-wise, I would say the city is extremely colorful, almost garish. The dress is, as you would imagine, early 90s to be stonewashed jeans, windbreakers, fanny packs, jumpsuits, Zubas pants, etc., etc. So the easiest way of transportation is through roller skating, skateboarding, scootering, and even biking. And But, you know, there are cars, but these are usually stuck in traffic, as you would see, like, in every 90s show when they show a city. But, um, so I think this is a yellow card because... Our prompt was to write a world based off of a certain time period. I wrote a world set in a certain, an alternate universe of a certain time period. Yeah, but it is kind of based on that time yeah. period. So I, I don't know. We, well, you decide if that's a yellow card or not. Um, I don't really think it's a yellow card. I'll, I'll Gee. allow it. My conscience is clear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cody, your uh, turn. All right, so. 
I texted you earlier today, or I messaged you on Facebook, whatever, and I asked you what time period you did. Yeah, and I completely the reason for, didn't see it because I was busy. No, it's fine. It's because I was kind of thinking about doing something different with my world. Um, so full disclosure, I actually lost a world. What do you mean? Found out today I lost a world. What do you mean? And I had to write a new one. I wrote my world like a week and a half ago in Notepad oh, and shut no. off my computer. Cody and did not. Save. We literally <laughs> talked last week about how you should start putting this stuff into Google Docs. I this is in Google Docs now. Now, so. yeah, but it should have been the first Nailed time. Nailed it. Um, so I had to rewrite my world. I was going to write the. I was basically rewriting the same world, which is what I ended up doing, but. Because I thought you had said your world was based on the 80s, and I was going to make a world kind of based on synthwave music, oh, because I had been listening to that recently. Dang, you should have. I'm glad I didn't. It would have been very similar to what you're doing, so it's like, nah, this is better. Yeah. But that's why but I I'm asked, glad that we I both had the have... idea to do 80s. <laughs> yeah, if I, ever, if I ever get a chance to do, like, a music-based world, I'm going to do it on synthwave music, just because the visuals on that I love. Hey. But when we write anyways, a musical world, I did something very different. It is called Savages. So actually, really quick, the f- actually, no, I'll tell it afterwards. You go. Um, don't touch that lever. You are turned into the broadcast of Captain Commodore Eggfoot. I already love it. The greatest <laughs> adventurer, explorer, and nobleman the world's over. Look on now as he heroically navigates his arrow blimp through the savage outer planets. But looking around every unknown, but lurking around every unknown celestial body awaits savage pirate raiders ready to kill our Captain Commodore Egford. Look, there are those unmistaken crude propulsors of the pirate chief Smog. This is broadcast 28 of the adventures of Captain Commodore Egford in the Savage Planets. Oh, really quick question. I'm, uh, no, you'll explain it. Never mind. Go on. No, 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 I was going to ask, go is this, this like a world created or is this the world of radio broadcast? Um, the radio broadcast is, is diegetic. Okay. Oh. No. Oh. Um, this is, this, technically this isn't a radio broadcast. Get to that it's in a minute. It's just how you're narrating but, the world. This is, I'll, 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 I'll yeah, get to see, what that I opening narration you, was. You would get to it. <laughs> no, but it's, it's a good question and I'll. I wasn't going to address it, but now <laughs> I will. Now so you I'll have make sure to, it's clear. I mentioned it. Yeah, no, I, that was a good question. Okay, so the world as it is is not a world. This is another, like, a bunch of worlds together. So I know we've kind of had this before as a prompt, but this, like, the setting it's is fine. around that is different. Um, so the center of this collection of worlds is called the Celestial Heart. Ooh. It's not a sun. This doesn't work like a solar system, so there's not, like, a sun that... And you're in space. None of that really applies. But generally, the celestial heart is at the center of all of these little worlds. It's just like this gr- bright, glowing presence. And there's a lot of mythology around it. It's supposedly the thing that like keeps your world in harmony. Um, what's found out eventually is that different elements on different planets react when they're hit with what's called celestial energy. So when light is emitted from the core of this planet, when it hits certain things, they'll glow, they'll heat up, they'll conduct things. This is eventually the basis for a lot of technology. Um, Planets are relatively small, so not much bigger than like a small country. So like your planets would be like the size of England or the size of France, you know, like they're pretty little, but not like minuscule, not the size of a small island, but... You know what I mean? So 
this is a little bit dealing with society, but it's relevant for the like physicality of this world. The closer you are to the celestial heart, those planets are called the great nobility. And then the planets that are further out are referred to as savage planets. So the culture around the great nobility is that like being closer to the um, celestial heart means that like technology works better. So like these planets are more viable for a lot of things. And also just they consider that to be like the most best place because it's nearer to the sun. (laughs) So um, the darker outer planets are considered to be like lesser. They are like considered like the boonies of this world and going there is considered dangerous and their inhabitants are thought less of as a result. Interesting. Oh, so this is based um, off the 1920s. This is based off of a very wide... It's kind of a wide range of history, but, like, loosely... I was making a joke like, because it sounded like racism. Oh, no. Well, it, it is, but it's not based on American racism. Oh. It's based on colonial racism. Hey. So, okay. um, this isn't so much ripping on America as it's written on, ripping on Britain. But, of course um, it is ripping on Britain, you freaking <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. So that's hence like the nobility and stuff, which we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, But generally, so there is gravity on each one of these planets. So like water is drawn down to them. Um, They do move and rotate around the celestial heart, but at different rates. So the day night cycle is different depending on which planet you're on. Um, sometimes the larger collection of planets is called the celestial body. That would be like all of these planets that all center around this like glowing bright light in the center of it. Um, and then other than that, like the, uh, what's it called? Gosh, the environment of each planet is as varied as, you know, like the different environments on our own planet. So there are very lush ones and there's very deserty ones, you know, they're all, they're all different. Um, but yeah, so that is... My, I actually tried to follow the prompt, so that is my. What's it, what's the first world called? Geography, the geography of hey, this world. Hey, you're trying, and that's all that matters, dude. You're trying. Oh wait, no, I have a little. Oh. I have a little end thing. This is a journal entry from Chief Smog. Blinded by celestial light, the great nobility has taken their first steps into a much larger world. What a shame they call us savages. They will learn. They will learn. They will all learn. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I when I hear a phrase like that, that's exactly what I think. It's like they'll see. They'll all see. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, go ahead, all right, Jordan. Here's my second section or quote unquote flora and fauna, but we all know that's not true. So things in eight ball were perfectly normal until the cataclysm. Years ago, around 1985, everything changed. We were no longer alone, as monstrous creatures started appearing all over the city. They were creatures that seemed to be out of a fantasy novel and were different from any animal that existed before. Large horned demons, piles of sentient goop, tentacled creatures, flying monstrosities, and even small beasts roamed this city during the night. They only seemed to grow stronger during the blood moon, which began to appear monthly after the cataclysm. At first, the city thought this could be a promotional for a new monster movie like The Thing or Godzilla, but the monsters quickly sought out the blood of man. There were many deaths, but all of those were quickly brushed under the rug. Claims that mass hysteria would break out if the rest of the world knew that monsters inhabited Eight Ball City spread. 
With the hush-hush movement came the birth of the 8-Ball Special Police Force. After my family was lost to the monsters, I vowed to join the police force to protect the city from the unholy beast. The special forces ride around on roller skates and banish the monsters to the underworld where they seemingly came. Soon, we will learn the truth of the cataclysm and the birth of the monsters. So, this is a seemingly normal city, but instead of just having normal animals, there are unholy hell monsters that roam the city at night. These are D&D-styled monsters, everything from your greater demons to your gibbering mouthers. So, pretty much, if you can find it in the underworld, it exists in 8-Ball City at night. Of course, to fight against these creatures, the 8-Ball Special Police Force was created, and we will hear more about them in my next section. So, back to having super short middle sections. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> the middle section for me is actually really Yeah, long. no, mine are usually short, but here we go. All right, here we go. Even now, the most complicated ballet of scientific might powers the mightiest vessel of our armada. Captain Commodore Egford stands on the bridge commanding the mechanical wonder. Each order is relayed and carried out by crews that spring into perfect synchronized action. How can a savage vessel think to compete with this? All right, section two, flora and fauna. Um, there are two main types of both flora and fauna. There are what's referred to as atoms and angels, and that's A D. Have you been watching like Evangelion? I kind of I started writing this, and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> atoms and angels. Like you've been watching Evangelion. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It got more like. Evangelion, the further I went through this section, and I'm like, no! <laughs> I'm ripping something off as I'm just, like, typing in ripoffs uh, as I was going. Funny. Anyways, continue. Okay, so atoms are creatures that came about on land, and they are much like you and me. Humans would be atoms. Which, yeah, obviously because, you know, Adam and Eve, that's what, what? the name came from. Holy um, crap. So... Each planet generally has some kind of animals living on it. Not all of them. Some of them are completely barren. But for the most part, animals exist on these planets. And they evolve much like creatures did on Earth. Based on, like, what resources were there. What things survived. Ecosystems grew about. That, like, balanced themselves. So there's predators and prey. And, you know, as the great nobility expanded, they domesticated these things. And... You know, it works very much like how animals work on our planet, right? Boring stuff. The angels are very different. The angels are things that do not exist on the planets, but exist the between outfield. them. Uh, <laughs> yes. 90s joke. You freaking bad 90s joke. joke. Bad joke, Jordan. Uh, I have it's seen that. Fantastic movie, <laughs> it's fantastic. <terrible laughs> it's, it's not a good it movie. Is, it's a fantastic movie. Continue. Anyways... Um, so the main difference between angels and atoms, aside from where they live, is that angels are able to directly use celestial energy. So generally they are kind of glowing and luminescent. When light hits them, that is how they like get energy. So they sort of work like how plants do. It's just much more magical in that way. Um, so these are creatures that are kind of considered a little bit creepy. They have never really been tamed or harnessed or like a lot of them found at once. So like the people that see the most are people that travel between worlds and they're kind of talked about like mermaids, except these mermaids actually do sometimes okay. show up. Um, 
generally speaking, though, they are very small. So they're not huge, giant creatures. They're like these little, like, sprites that kind of flitter around and you can see out in the middle of nothing. Generally, people just kind of consider them to be magical. They don't understand how they live out here. They don't understand what they eat. They don't understand how they get energy. So they're kind of mystic things, but they're tiny. Some people consider them to be omens. So it'll be like, oh, if you see a red angel when you set sail, you're going to die. Or, oh, I saw a blue one at sunrise. That's bad luck. You know, people are superstitious. Um, Generally, though, people just kind of consider them to be alien. They don't know how to communicate. They never do. They can't talk to each other. So they're just kind of over there. I don't know if I mentioned this. I might be repeating myself. If I am, I am sorry. They're also not affected by gravity. So generally things are pulled towards worlds. So naturally there's nothing out in between worlds except for these things. So that's kind of another thing that makes them unique. Oh, so then the other side of this is the plant life. So there are, there is plant life that is angelic. Um, it's not affected by gravity, so it grows very round and symmetric, unlike trees that have, like, a root structure oh, and then okay. leaves. That wouldn't exist, so they're still, like, natural, but they just kind of grow in, like, bushy clumps, and that's the whole thing. Okay. Generally, people try to stay away from them. There are stories about people that come in contact with them and, like, eat them, and they're like, oh, that's how you end up turning into a savage, um, you know? It's like, oh, that's this weird... Stuff that you don't want to get involved with. It, like, makes you weird, so you just stay away from it. Oh, yeah, and that's... I had the little line. It's probably... Probably savages eat angelic plants because, you know, they're also weird and different. All right, so... So is there going to be a genocide in this world? You'll see. Oh, no. Um, Oh. Oh, Come on, man. (laughs) this, this This is a journal entry from Captain Smog again. They think they are hunting us. I mean... I guess they kind of are, but do they realize that their ship is actually glowing? It's like a giant beacon flying through the sky. I mean, how hard do they think it is for us to hide from them when they're flying in a loud, flashing, belching, slow barge? I like that. I mean, I like that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is, it reminds me of like all of the like sci-fi ships where it's just like oh yeah this is just a giant like beam of light that's flying through space like of course but is that oh is that it yeah that's okay it. you just went silent and kept turning i don't know if you had something to say or not <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> like, no, you, okay. that's why i have at the end of my section it's like that's the end of my section so you know so i'm not just waving back and forth like hey hey i'm done <laughs> but all right no, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, this is my society history, where I'm going to talk about the future of my um, world. That's a joke. Um, I need to stop. I quit. I'm done with the podcast, Cody. You can do it alone. Good night, everybody. It's the World Shop Podcast. <laughs> no. Um, okay, here's society history. In 1974, David Arnson and Gary Gygax created the popular game Dungeons & Dragons. Most think this was a completely innocent feat, and for the most part, it was. Arneson and Gygax created the game to be fun, but in order to create something that stood apart from most other games at the time, they wrote real rituals, magic spells, and other deep magics within the pages of their book. They thought it would be harmless, that no one would notice, and the deep magics within Dungeons & Dragons would lie dormant for eternity. It was all fun and games to them, but little did they know, they sold their souls to the devil that day when Dungeons & Dragons was released. The first access into the deep magics of Dungeons & Dragons was by accident, and oh, did it have its negative effects. A young boy decided to practice the magic 
inside of the book and call upon one of the ancient deities. But instead of create a fun fireworks show, his mind was corrupted and evil was released into the world. The evil lay dormant for some time as it was weak in its new environment. Finally, it began to gain more power by possessing and stealing the life force from children attracted to Dungeons & Dragons. The mainstream media was onto this, and the mothers of the lost children started a group in order to shut down Dungeons & Dragons for good. They were bad. You know, bothered against Dungeons & Dragons. But also bad at their jobs, as they only helped increase the popularity of the game. That was a good joke. <laughs> Despite many holy men coming out against Dungeons & Dragons, the simple game could not be stopped. Underground support for the Cult of the Dragon was growing. People were gathering and learning the spells. They brought in many names of fame by promising fortune and everlasting life. People took the bait, and suddenly the Cult of the Dragon even overtook Scientology as far as support. It all came to a head when the Cult decided to commence the ritual of everlasting life. What, Cody? Jordan? What if Scientologists listen to our podcast? Yeah, I don't care. You just compared them to a satanic cult. They're not. For that matter, what if Satanists listen to our podcast? No one listens to our podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying. If you listen to our podcast, right please send an email at podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, if you're a, Satan to, Satanist, a Satanist or a Scientologist, tell Jordan he's being real mean right now. You're I being mean you. to me. Is what the, That's just going to be the caption of each email. You're being mean to me. I don't know if I support Scientology. I don't. I don't I know. I definitely don't. There's, anyway, can there's, I get back, please, to reading my world? Sorry. Shut up. <laughs> I, re- I missed the story era when you were silent the whole time I talked. Now I have to worry about you cutting me off again. Yes, you do. Ugh, I hate being back. But instead of become immortal gods as they wanted, the demons took over the souls of everyone involved, completely transforming the cult of the dragon into unholy monsters. The moon turned red on days when it was full, creating a portal between the natural and unnatural world. Sentient and vicious monsters sought to control the 8-ball city and decided the best way to achieve that was gaining a foothold in the criminal underbelly. But the city of 8-ball got lucky and the demons found that they could not move freely during the day. As in the vampire fantasies of old, the demons would burn in the light of the sun. Knowing this, the government formed a special police unit that would fight against these demons and protect the city of 8-Ball from harm. That was the start of the 8-Ball Special Police Force, secretly known as the Demon Hunting Force, DHF. And that's my part. I I love this world that I made. (laughs) You were all, like, second-guessing yourself. Well, now that I'm, like, reading it out loud, I was like, yeah, no, this is actually really fun. All right. This is part three. Triumph! Captain Commodore Egford has sighted the dreaded savage pirate Captain Smog. Look now as he fires his reaction cannons. Even now, celestial power is showering the savages with noble fire. Worry not, though, these savages are barely human. Their death ensures the celestial body stays always noble. Alright, so origin story time. This first origin story is called Adam Takes Flight. So, Adams first took flight when they learned that some ores heated up when exposed to celestial energy. So, like I mentioned in my first section, when what is essentially light hits certain elements, they they react. So, some of them conduct electricity, some of them conduct heat. And basically, using this, they were able to make flying vessels. Like, some humans were able to make flying vessels. Um, this was important because it was the first time they were able to explore other planets. So 
one civilization beat all the rest of them to the punch. Shut up. I'm sorry I had to burp. I drink a lot of Diet you Coke. Everyone, burp, take a second and don't burp in the middle of a sentence and keep talking. Because that was really <laughs> no, gross just, sounding. <laughs> I'm just powering through it. Y'all, I drink a lot of Diet Coke. It's not good. That was extremely do gross. <laughs> I love you, Jordan. Anyways. Uh, so, I like you, um, Wow. Wow. <laughs> Did I just get friend zoned? That's hurtful. You're married. Shut up and continue. Fine. I don't love you. We're just acquaintances now. No, we're friends. <laughs> I just got demoted by Jordan. I'm hurt. So, one civilization figured this out first, right? Before this, there was no contact. The planets were closer in the sky, but they were not able to see other people like walking around on them. So, one civilization eventually learned how to travel to other worlds. So this was the beginning of what was called the Great Conquest and also the birth of the Great Nobility. Um, it was a very dangerous time. We were when people first learned to fly because like there was conflict now between worlds, which had not existed before because they were just isolated from each other. However, the Great Nobility already existed before flight and the Great Nobility were not the first people to figure out flight. The great nobility were the first people that got contacted by the civilization that discovered flight. And then they were like, oh, hey, a means of transportation by which we can conquer more than just our planet. So they stole that technology, killed those people, and then began the great conquest. So the great nobility already existed locally within this planet. And then when a flying ship landed with explorers, they were like, our flying ship and then, you know, figured out how to weaponize this. So, like, all of their cannons and all of the, like, small arms that exist are based on this celestial energy hitting certain stones that then react a certain way. So this is really at the heart of technology. So after they received the... After they kind of learned from slash stole and murdered the ability to fly, this is when they started conquering all of the planets near the great nobility, near the celestial heart. So it was like a constant kind of conquest. And really it's still going on. Like any place that they have not conquered and brought into the great nobility, they just consider to be a savage planet. And right now that that just happens to be these fringe planets that are almost completely dark because they're so far from the celestial heart. So that's just kind of, you know, if you went back a uh, hundred years from right now from yeah right now there would be more savage planets than there are now they're just kind of slowly conquering more and more okay. and more and more so um, colonialism yeah yes they are very colonial okay and the second origin story is um just called little sister long ago little sister found the wing of an angel father said destroy it those things are evil mother wept for the angel had lost its wing and Big Brother said, let's take this wing that we may fly. Little Sister thought. The wing was beautiful, so it should not be destroyed. She agreed with Mother that the wounded angel was sad. And she liked the sound of learning to fly that her older brother had brought up. So she used the wing to fly. Everywhere she went, Little Sister asked for the one-winged angel. And on and <clears throat> on and on her quest was went Was that a Final Fantasy day, reference? No, I know it's not. It's not. You said, what like Age of like Sephiroth? I didn't play Final Fantasy VII. I forgot that had weight behind it. Anyways, um, 
On and on her quest went until one day she found the one-winged angel. She gave the one-winged angel its wing, even though she knew she would fall. She shed one tear as she gave the angel its wing back, and she plummeted towards the ground. But before she hit the ground, the angel picked her up and smiled. They said nothing, for angels do not speak. But before the angel left, it kissed her on the cheek. From that day on, little sister learned to fly and could understand the angels. This story is, of course, nonsense, but it's a nice story that the, in air quotes, savages tell their children to teach them about morals. All right, and this is a uh, journal entry again from Captain Smog. This idiot actually tried to shoot at us. I am trying so hard to remember that there was a time when we were much like them, half blind and arrogant, but we came to the edge with a different motive, and that made all the difference. Our tribes came here to discover, not to conquer. All right, that's the end, that's the end of my section. No, I like that. I definitely, I like your little Captain Smog um, things at the end of just like kind of telling it how it is. I, I like this a lot. Yeah, it's two different perspectives. Where it's like, oh, these on... savages, we must wipe them out because they're savages. It's like, dude, we were, we were you. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> we're not savage. We're just as. Uh, it's ve- it's very interesting because I see parallels in the world that is today. But anyway, we don't need to hash that conversation out right now. Oh, um, anyways, back to the nineties. <laughs> Here's society current. It is now 1992, and society tries to move on as if monsters don't exist. But there are monsters, and you are in incredible danger going out at night. The government doesn't like the idea of mass hysteria, so only a suggested curfew was put in effect. But most people ignore this suggestion, and thus people get hurt. Rumors are spreading about monsters on internet message boards, but then again, the internet is an essential part of life, so light- central part of life, so those things are mostly ignored. The DHF runs business as usual, but does not take the mainstream spotlight due to the government's request to keep things quiet. Recruitment is done by posting in the classifieds about live-action role-playing and new role-playing games. During the meetups, recruits just play the game and those who catch the eye of the recruiter are sent to the next phase. Recruiters look for those who are strong, independent, quick thinkers, and extremely creative. Finally, after interviewing and going through the basic training at perceived summer camps, recruits are added to the force and sent out to battle evil monsters. Of course, there are those like me who knew about the force from the beginning and sought to join. A lot of the new recruits are younger, around mid to late teens, but all ages, races, and gender are allowed on the force. The more people, the better. We have begun using the basements of movie rental stores as meetups or quick safe houses during the night. Debriefings and important sightings are slipped through VHS boxes. Together, it is a fairly intricate organization. We on the force have specific patrol times and stay in contact through use of cell phones or walkie-talkies. They are big and bulky, making it extremely hard to carry around, thus every member wears a fanny pack or backpack. The force uses melee weapons blessed with holy water to fight off monsters. These are weapons that can easily be disguised during the day such as baseball bats, golf clubs, brooms, mops, etc. The more skilled members use improvised weapons such as skippets, jump ropes, hula hoops, and holy water squirt guns. Skippets? Really? Skippets? Yes, dude. 90s. (laughs) Do you know what I never had? I never had a skippet. We had a broken... Well, it was at my grandma's house and by the time we got to it, it was broken. (laughs) <laughs> so we I think I think that is the truest form of a skip it <laughs> at grandma's house broken. 
you're so jazzed when you get there that it's just like broke. It's all dirty. It's, like, oh, it's got dirt on, stuck to man. it. Your cousins wrecked it. Like, oh man, I just want to skip it. Besides weaponry, every member of the force has a method of quick transportation, such as roar blades and skateboards. Bikes are not as popular because the hands need to be free in order to battle a demon. If you can't draw your weapon and ride a vehicle, you shouldn't be on that vehicle. Special sunglasses have been made for the Force to help see these monsters clear at night. Yeah, of course, we look like weird geeks at night with sunglasses on roller skates, but who cares? Fighting demons is hella rad. Each member must wear bright colors so he is easily spotted by the other members of the DHF. The demons are organized, taking over the criminal underbelly of 8-Ball. Most demons out at night are just looking for blood, but it feels like they all report to something. There are rumors within the forest that demon kind follows a group of leaders, but we have yet to track them down. We have all run across intelligent demons, and they get their own class enlisting through the DHF. We call the mindless, bloodthirsty grunts F-Class, and as intelligence, size, and power increases, the class increases all the way up to A-Class and S-Class for the super-intelligent monstrosities. But I, through my studies, have never seen nor have I heard of an S-Class demon. Most of the times, those in the force are just seen as weirdos or punks who like to dress up. But we are there for the protection of every citizen. So what if we look dumb? Sometimes our efforts are recognized by the public, but most times our work is swept under the rug. I'm not really in it for the glory. I just want to slay some demons. And that is my world. Okay, I, I didn't like it I like your when I wrote it, but I love it and I want to do a D&D campaign with it. Yeah, I like it. It's fun. <laughs> like, like I, That's a fun setting. I really love it now that I wrote it. It's like, I really, really love I, it. I do kind of like that it took the tack of, no, D&D is evil. It's bad. <laughs> Like, I, I enjoy that, but it's also a more fun response than I think a lot of people give that. Yeah. Like, a lot of times, it's, like, less colorful, the response. Like, that's got more style to it, and yeah. I appreciate <laughs> that. Well, it, I just, because when I first thought about, we had, like, set in that time period, it's, like, my first original thought was to set it, like, do a Western and set it with, like, having monsters in a Western. I was, like, I, I've always wanted to have monsters in this type of world. But then it's like, yeah. eh, I don't want to do a Western because, like, we do Westerns. We have the potentials to do Westerns a lot. And so it's like, you know, I want to do something unique. And that's why I moved it up to 70s. Oh, sorry, 80s and 90s. And then the, just the thought of a bunch of kids r riding around on roller blades with, like, like magical baseball bats fighting off giant monsters was just so fun to me. And I'm like, I'm going to write it. It's kind of Buffy. It's, it's pretty and then Buffy I wrote it. Entire Slayer, and I, and like I that. hated yeah. it. But now that I'm like thinking about just imagining like colorful windbreakers or like fanny packs and just like someone throwing like a ninja star out of a fanny pack would be just really crazy and fun. And I like the yeah, idea now. Yeah. A lot. It's 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 zany enough that it works, yeah. you know? See, I told you it was gonna be a fun week. Alright, you ready yep. you ready for the end here? Let's do it. We're in out, dear viewer. Captain Commodore Eggford will never fail. The savage pirates may have escaped into the dark of the savage worlds, but our captain is cunning, our captain is brave, our captain is the most noble hero of the great nobility. He has eyes that can see through any dark, and he pilots his ship as if it's an extension of his own body. Um, alright, so the current civilization of the great nobility is, um... Yeah, it's only relative to the power of the celestial heart. 
So um, the most important planets are the ones that are closest because they have the most access to energy, basically. Okay. Um, which is kind of how like the great nobility was able to be successful early on is that even though they weren't the ones that discovered the ability to travel through the celestial body to other places, they were close and they were motivated. So they did. Um, Right now, most other planets pay like some kind of tax to what is called, um, sorry, hang on. Yeah. To the noble home, which is like this, home royal area that basically is just a feudal capital of this of all the planets right now um it's considered like gentlemanly and adventurous to go off to these savage planets and try to like stick a flag on them and conquer them for the great nobility so that is commonly done these like gentlemanly captains go off on these adventures so this is where um, I said that this TV broadcast is diegetic. And what I mean by that is that within the world, like what kids would sit down and watch on these big like steampunk televisions with like big crank levers and like staticky images are um, like fictitious representations of the adventures of these captains that are like the heroes, oh, you know. Okay. Now, I So this is like... This is like a cheesy TV broadcast that's sent out about Captain Commodore Eggford, but he's a real guy named Captain Commodore Eggford who does go off on these adventures. So it is like how in the comic book universes that comic books still exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's just like, I mean, we watch movies today about... Pretty much, it's almost propaganda, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is. It's just... I don't know if I would say it's specifically propaganda. This is a culture that is not very... Um, Educated? S- well, uh, self-critical. Okay. Um, so it's not necessarily that the government made these. This is what people like. Oh. They, everyone's way on board with being part of the nobility. You know, because they're on the winning team in their minds going off fighting savages. Yeah. Which is like, yay, we're doing great. Um, I so like how you the- deliver a world like this. Instead of the way I usually deliver a world like this. What do like, you mean? Because I'm usually extremely heavy-handed with it, and I think that you created a fun way to have a like decently heavy topic. Oh, I thought I was being really heavy-handed you, with like you, the cynicism of colonialism. You are to a point. You're not. You're not. It's not blatantly heavy-handed. Whatever. It's, yeah, it, well, I don't perceive like, it as the being first like section Bible was supposed to be. The first section was supposed to be a misdirect where you think like, oh, he's a captain going on adventures. That sounds yeah. fun. And then it turns out he's a dick. <laughs> and what they do is go and like conquer planets. But that's considered to be yeah. fun adventures. Um, so this is the type of society. The way I have it written in my notes is gentlemen lead the charge. while wives stay at home to raise chinger- children and tend the estates while these bold people go off and do heroic deeds that's like society right now it is very much like the men go off and do adventure for the nobility and it's hokey and and really stupid (laughs) yeah 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 so um this then is the true history of the savages oh yes finally okay long ago a group of people from the heart of the oh sorry so near the heart of the celestial body learned to travel from planet to planet one of the tribes of these people were killed by the nobility 
But the rest explored and traveled and eventually found what they at first thought of as the edge of existence. Um, They could not see into the darkness. um, So eventually they hit the edge of all these planets. And for a while, that is where they stopped. So that first group of people that the nobility stole technology from, that wasn't all of them. They were a tribal society and that they were separate individual kind of societies that all lived on one planet. So when they left, they didn't all go to the same place. And a lot of them went just out, right? And eventually hit the edge. Um, This is who eventually became the savages in air quotes. Given that they were the people that traveled the most and the furthest, they were the first ones to really have a lot of contact with angels. Um, before humans thought of angels as being these tiny little sprites, the, I'm going to say again in air quotes, savages were the first people to document and realize that angels were as diverse as fish are in the ocean. So if you look on the surface, you see perch and minnows and tiny little fish. You go deeper, you find out that there are angels the size of whales. You know what I mean? And there are these massive ecosystems that are existing out in the middle of nothing but no one found them except for the again in air quote savages after years of exposure to like angelic stuff so not only were this was this tribal group of people the first ones to find all of this and travel this far they were also the first people to try to interact with angels in a real way so some of them began eating like angelic food They would regularly come in contact with angels, and eventually this had a physiological effect on them. So, at first it was subtle, they became more sensitive to seeing light, not just as, like, direct beams, but as, like, this celestial energy is almost, like, flowing and they can see it move. And eventually they were able to see into the darkness around them. So, eventually what they discovered is that the celestial body that they are all clumped around is a very small part of a much larger ecosystem. There are planets way beyond that that to human eyes would be dark, but to them eventually became perfectly explorable. So the edge of light is not the edge of everything. They were eventually able to explore deeper and further out into what would be considered savage planets, but are really just an expanse of planets that the nobility has no knowledge of. Really? I honestly, like stylistically, the way I'm thinking about this, this would be an amazing world to see in like a comic book or like in like, well, graphic novel, less of comic book. Yeah. Not, not, I'm not, yeah when I, I say comic, would... I don't mean like superhero thing. I think I just mean, no, no it would I be a visual. visual it would be a very visual. I'm not saying movie because you know, yeah, who cares? But like just stylistically and like art, I feel like, an art style for this will be very, very beautiful. Eventually, the largest side effect of this was that they were able to communicate with the angels. What this meant was that angels don't speak with, like, vocally. They don't have vocal cords. Um, they're, like, telepathic creatures. And after being exposed to their food and to them long enough, they began. Um, these humans began to develop that ability. And they also began to develop the ability to fly through space without need of a vessel. So they just kind of left. (laughs) Um, um, And so that's kind of the actual history of what are called the savages. And this is the last journal entry from Captain Peace out, suckers! (laughs) 
did not feel good to watch what happened. The Celestial Heart is such a small place. Our smallest vessels still at times travel into the light to see what our prehistoric brethren have been up to. We try to talk to them, but they ignore us. They call us savages, and they think they are conquering all these dark worlds that we abandoned generations (laughs) ago. They are fools, and I took little joy in watching the Oblivion Leviathan rip their ships to pieces as they chased us blindly into the dark. Um, so this to me was kind of a story about like burning, like getting burnt by thinking that you're too great. So, you know, for a while, the nobility was successful. There were less advanced planets that they could go and conquer. Um, what eventually happened was they found a more advanced society that they thought of as savages. So these savages traveled on smaller, less impressive vessels because they didn't need impressive vessels to travel quickly and into the darkness. They were always on the fr- they were always on fringy worlds because they didn't need light to see anymore. Um, and they didn't end up even having to fight against the nobility is just the nobility basically blindly flew into a dangerous situation and then got destroyed for it. So um, what I was trying to do here was like I knew that I wanted to make this a story about like savages and air quote just being like this other society Mm -hmm. that the nobility didn't know about but what i wanted to avoid was just being like but they're more in tune with nature because that's kind of like always how like indigenous peoples are represented (laughs) that's avatar yeah so like this is the idea that like they had this exact same technology they just had it thousands of years ago and then they just kept advancing and the nobility didn't. So they found a more advanced civilization and were like, we're going to go conquer you. And this more advanced civilization is like, oh, shoot, they're going to try to conquer us and they won't listen to us. Like, we'll just leave if you come and attack these planets. We don't want like fine. Have them. It's and not that- like there is an infinite expanse of other planets that we care more about. That's you why know? the final journal entry should have been peace out, suckers. <laughs> Well, it's not even peace out. It's just like, oh, dude, you're really going to kill yourself on this. Yep, you did. And then the the Nightmare Leviathan or whatever it was called just got him. Oblivion, Oblivion which is a great name, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Because the idea here is that they wouldn't be able to see them and they wouldn't be able to communicate with them. But this society that they call savages would. They would just be able to talk to the Leviathan. Hey, can you not like eat us? Yeah, sure. Yes. But for, you know for the oblivion leviathans it's just like ooh dinner much oh, hey, these guys don't these guys don't speak intelligence it's just food blah, 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 blah. nice nice I, I i like that i think really that would be like a fun this just seems like a fun world to draw you always do that where you yeah, have just right. really pretty worlds that i hate you i wish that i could draw because there's a lot of things that i think i try to describe and it doesn't come across i wish well i could draw I well because <laughs> i can draw just not well i can draw i can draw portraits i'm not anyways Anywho, um, so then I know two solid bangers of worlds. We talked way too long about Breath of the Wild, hour and a half almost. But anyhow, so next week, the roll's in my hands, so I get to choose. And, oh, I was actually just thinking about this one, honestly. This is going to be interesting and extremely hard one to do. A world after time travel becomes available. (laughs) The the idea, Uh, as usual, I usually have an idea when I write. You need to write more prompts so we don't end up with crap like this. I like this prompt. No, the the idea when I wrote this prompt was definitely the movie Looper. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, they have time travel. What do they use it for? They have gangs that send people back. They do their hits back in time. 
That's how they do use time travel. That's an extremely that's a brilliant idea, and I I have a way of doing it. I'm I'm excited. I know what I'm gonna do already. I do too, because I was literally just thinking about this one. I think it's extremely ironic that it just came up. Maybe my mind was preparing me for this. Anywho, um, so that's been the episode. Cody, what do you got to we had like no like exit talk, but anyways, Cody, what do you got to talk about? Oh, sorry to plug. Check out Wandering Gamer Network podcast. It's actual play podcasts. We play Dungeons and Dragons. We are starting to play a homebrew, which is what's publishing right now, called Outlaws Wanted. It's awesome. Um, and we've also played a bunch of other stuff like Star Wars and all these other things. Uh, but right now it's D&D and Outlaws Wanted. Also, occasionally, at random times that are not consistent, I stream on Twitch under CrazyDoodler6. I'll um, tweet about me it. And Jordan. <laughs> yeah, we are right now playing Dark Souls 2. And I am losing a lot, and I'm really upset. I'm enjoying it because I just get to hang out with my friend. So, it... yeah, it's basically just an excuse for us, <laughs> right? It's it's just a nice hangout with my friend. So you know, it's good. <laughs> like we really only talk once a week for this show. <laughs> it's nothing. So every time I get to just chill with you, it's it's good. And that was a personal look at our lives. Anyways, what I've got um something I guess zero zero, which I usually try to stream Sundays. Um. Because I'm not trying to interfere with other streams that I watch, I I'll I will tweet out the time that I will pick, but it's been harder because everybody that I like is now streaming at my time, so <laughs> Sounds like you don't like them Yeah. Anymore. But um anywho, something I guess zero zero. Um we're gonna be doing a lot of more fun stuff with this podcast so check that out there's going to be a campaign in one of our worlds coming up soon and honestly i might scrap the current campaign and just figure out one to do with the 90s world because <laughs> it's so much more fun i don't think you should scrap it's your so campaign. much more fun though but anyways so you can check me out something i guess you're zero at twitch.tv and um if you have any ideas for worlds have any if you want to rate and subscribe us you can do that on itunes but if you have any ideas for worlds and whatnot you can send that to worldshoppodcast at gmail.com you can find that on our twitter you can find that on our itunes just please rate subscribe give us suggestions we we like feedback a lot anyway thanks for listening and we'll check y'all out later or catch you on the flip side 90s episode bye bye